Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Catholic Singles. Every day, hundreds of Catholic singles join CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Breadbox Media listeners get 20% off by using the promo code BREADBOX when they register. Come be our next success story at CatholicSingles.com. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the first Sunday in Lent. My name is Alana Berg, and with me as always is Father Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well, doing well. Good to see everybody. Um, I am pumped for Lent. Let me tell you, um, I was talking with Alana about it. This last week, my homily was dig deep, like I'm sick of whippy Catholicism. No wimps here. Alana's not a wimp. I'm not a wimp. I don't believe you guys are wimps either. We're gonna we're gonna rock this land. Um, now I want to say though, I, I I got people motivated this last weekend, and now I think what I gotta do this week in the conversation, um, especially my homily, I gotta work it in somehow, and I, I always find a way. Is the sweet spot of suffering? We've talked about this before. Sweet spot of discomfort. So what's the idea of sweet spot? Like let's flesh that out for a second. So sweet spot is you don't you don't kill things. Like you don't go too hard and you don't, don't go too soft. So I always use the image of a soccer ball. So one of the things I had to do when I played soccer in high school was the goalie wasn't very good at kicking goal kicks. And I could kick, I could kick the ball about three quarters of the field. And so I had a pretty good kick that I could aim it pretty well. And if I tried to kill the ball when I was kicking, I would overdo it and I would lose control and it would just fly off. It wouldn't go that far. And of course, if you hit it too soft, it's not going to go anywhere. So what you, you want to do is you want to find that sweet spot where you're, you're, you're hitting it with pace, but you're not killing it. And you, and you just have that good flow and you just kind of, and that's what we want to get into this Lent. Uh, I was talking with one of the missionaries who did uh, the Fiat 90 or whatever. And she said when she did it last Lent, she felt it was just too much. That she was mean and nasty all the time. And in and, and my last week's homily, I kind of challenged people now, that's part of the point, but I would say we got to find the sweet spot, and each one of us has to do that discernment. Um, I do t- tons of intense fasting. I'm not, maybe I'll talk a little bit about what I'm going to do, give you guys some ideas, but I've been building up to this for years. I've been fasting pretty continuously since I was 23. 
um, doing intense fasts every Lent and, and other times of the year. For about 10 years, I fasted every Friday for 24 hours where I would go without eating. Um, I haven't done that as much as a Dawson priest because I tend to be eating a lot of meals with people on Friday. But, um, but for, for 10 years, I was fasting at least once a week, every week. And then during Lent, you know, turning it up a notch. Um, this last Lent I had, I turned it way up and, and it was great. And now I want to kind of, kind of see if I can do more. Yeah. Or at least match. Yeah. Like keep it that, consistent. I think consistency is a good, you know, no, and I want to beat, beat the record. I'm in competition. <laughs> well, you're in competition. I was actually thinking about this. I wanted to, I was thinking of going on a live video today. Um, competition can be a good thing. So I'm really fortunate right now. I have father Michael shoots down the street. Uh, he's a guy I was in seminary with and he's a younger guy. And um, he's motivating me to be a little bit more on the ball because I kind of started to grow a little lukewarm. I didn't have anybody around me that was really challenging me. Like, and so he comes in, he, he comes in, he visits the school for our parish and everybody's like, Oh, we never see a priest. I'm like, Oh man, crap. I gotta do, I gotta like, I gotta step up my game now. Like the young guy showing me up, but I liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll, t I'll talk to him. He's like, yeah, I just got back from the gym. I'm like, dang it. You go to the gym. Like, I just prayed the liturgy of the hours. Dang it. I need to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And all these things that you should be doing and, and not that you don't do any of them, but, but it really does help with the accountability. So to, yeah. to not necessarily that you have to do these things on your own. It's not about being like, you know, like not being a wimp on your own. It's really about, Ha having that community that, that you can have accountability with and challenge each other and yeah. say, Hey, I did this today and be like, Oh yeah, I need to do that. We actually have a group that does that. And we have a call, an app called Slack and we have like prayer check-in. Cool. Like, yep. Did our morning offering. And sometimes it's like, Ooh, it's almost noon. I should probably do my, my morning. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, it's helped me, you know, only in the last few months has helped you know, really make sure I'm focused and then yeah. we can remind each other even with our updates, like, Oh yeah, I need to do that. So I agree that, that, that really well, now, Imagine, and I, I got it. I got the tie in with the gospel now. So Jesus probably told his apostles a little bit. They saw, they, they heard about the fasting for 40 days and they heard about his other fasting and they were like, Oh dang. Like, He's, 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 he's the real deal. Like they're mo probably more motivated. Like, man, he's hardcore. He's you know? <laughs> the hardest chorist. The, he's the, the hardest, hardest of the hardcore. Yep. Yeah. And the, and the other guys are like, man, he, he's the real deal, man. Um, yep. um, yeah. But, he doesn't play around, but let's, let's jump into the first. But that, but that's probably, probably there's a, probably a little bit of a competition thing. I mean, you never think about it with the apostles, but they probably at first, cause I mean, naturally guys, you get them in a group and they want to take the leader down. They want to, they want to, they want to be. Well, I think that's clear when we look at James and John Yeah. and they have their, you know, they're all arguing who's going to be for, you know, that we yeah. do see that. We do see that. So that's just men in general. It's like, that's, we, we get together, we compete together. Right. And, and Jesus doesn't say like, how dare you guys, you need to be more like women. He says like, Compete in the right ways. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> All right. Now let's get into the first reading. So because it's long, we got to get through three, three long readings. So, all right, from Genesis. 
The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and so man became a living being. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and placed there the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made various trees grow that were delightful to look at and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent asked the woman, Did God re really tell you not to eat from the, any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, You shall not eat it or even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know what is good and what is evil. The woman said that the tree was, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized what they had, that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Okay, so this re particular reading is actually two sections of two different chapters of Genesis. So there's a lot cut out of like the creation of Eve and the actual directives um, from God to Adam about not, about not eating. So I just want to be clear that <clears throat> there's a little bit missing in this, but it, but it really is focused on um, the, cr the creation of the garden, this particular trees, and, and then the sin of Adam and Eve. Oh. So. You know, I was, the, the, this idea of the, the serpent lying, like, that, so God says you'll die, you know, you'll die if you partake of it. And, of course, they do suffer death eventually, but it's like, it's not that immediate thing. I thought about that. That's one of the, one of the challenges with working with young people like working with college students especially, is they don't see the immediate consequences of bad decisions, right? So like there are probably a group of guys right now and most likely guys who are, you know, they're partying it up, they're sleeping around. And for the most part, they feel, they might feel satisfied with their existence. You know, they might have moments where they feel a guilty conscience, but but they they, they don't necessarily like, they they could be relatively speaking happy. I think this is one of the dangers sometimes when we we preach this whole idea that like you can't be happy without Jesus, um, and that's a whole another conversation. That's a really deep conversation actually. That's actually a highly debated theological if you really flesh out because it gets into the nature of of, of grace um, and, and God's grace. But I, I tend to believe the Thomistic position, which is there's a certain amount of natural happiness people can have, but it's fleeting and it's passing. So, like, it's not hard for a 19-year-old who's in relatively good health, if they're making bad decisions, those bad decisions might not have a huge impact on them in the here and now, but they're going to affect them more later on. And I think it, even in the, stu the study I've been doing, it's very clear that it's a spiritual death immediately and then eventually a bodily death, a physical yeah. death. So, so there is a death, but it's just not one that they necessarily perceive in, in the way of death, in that thought. 
Yeah, I think it's um, so that it does make that a little bit more confusing. And sometimes in the way I think of it, sometimes I feel like if you break the laws, then you can feel it, right? So if you jump off a building, you will feel the law of gravity, right? You can't yeah. necessarily, like the law of gravity will break you if you try to break it in certain ways, you know, in ways that are destructive. And also in the spiritual realm, I feel like even though we don't see it or can't feel it imme immediately, like we don't necessarily break those laws. Those laws break us. You know what I mean? Like, like we are not following the rules or going against, you know, not being obedient to the Lord in, in the ways that we should, but it really hurts us. It doesn't hurt God. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's not like, it's like jumping out off of a building without anything. It's, it's breaking the rules, yeah. but it really does, damage but it's just damage we can't see right away it, it's damage that it, in the long term it really flushes out oh yeah no absolutely absolutely and i would say um yeah no absolutely and i think um i'm trying to think if i should take this into the nature of grace conversation which i kind of i don't know if well, we should, the, well let's we go into temptations because because there's a lot about temptation so so she looks at it and she sees that it's beautiful and it's good to to eat and it's good for wisdom so it's the three big temptations and that's what we're going to be getting into the gospel so that's i'm going to keep that okay in there so so it it's good to eat so the passions it's a really yeah. temptation of the passions um it's beautiful to look at so the, the vanity and how things appear on the outside and good for wisdom so um, pridefulness and and wanting to know more than that's cool you know i've never so, heard that before that's actually yeah. a cool insight i did not uh, make it up <laughs> and let's let's flesh it out a little bit so let's start off with the first one passion okay. just uh, one of the things i've been realizing it's clear in my mind because i've actually i didn't actually learn it as explicitly in seminary but i went back and learned it thomistic is a basic thomistic which i would say this is a little bit controversial among theologians I would say the best way to read scripture and the best way to read the tradition is through St. Thomas Aquinas. The, the, he synthesizes everything and puts it together. And that really after him referencing him and then going back and reading the scripture through his eyes is, is the best way to do it. Of course, there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that, but in his system, the passions, the emotions are tied with the body, which actually a lot of modern psychologists, the mindfulness stuff, the, they, they talk about that, that the, the emotions are tied to the body. And so, yeah, so when you feel, when your feelings and your emotions are tied with your sensible, and they're, they're kind of a little bit lower. Not that we want to say that we want to ignore them or repress them, but they're more tied with our animal instincts and mm -hmm. things like that. And in a certain sense, this is why people say, well, you know, animals have feelings, um, therefore we should, we should, like be nicer to them but really everything that has locomotion has some analogous sense of feeling because the, the basic way the feelings work is good emotions positive emotions attract us towards that which we perceive as good negative emotions re reject evil so the, the the negative emotions are there to you know, the fight or flight mechanism mm -hmm. to, to, to flee or to fight against evil. Right. And that's kind of a little bit of a integration of modern psychology with a little bit of Thomistic. Right. Um, and, so, and it's, and it's about, and 
all of the other trees in the beginning, the first part of the reading, were good. They were good for food and delightful to look at. So it's not like she wasn't surrounded by beauty and, yeah. and, and food and, and things, you know, that were good. But she looked at it and said, okay, well, these are things, this looks kind of like what we've been given, but there's an extra, you know, there's that extra wisdom. Well, maybe there's even something in that, that, that a lot of times, one of the ways we're fooled in temptation, we experience that by which we were being tempted as positive. It's a good feeling, Right. I think this is something that we often have to, to grapple with. And actually I've, I've dealt with some cases with folks with mental illnesses where they struggle with this is if I'm lusting after somebody, that's a good feeling, right? It feels good. Like physically, yeah. right? Um, if, if I'm gluttonous, the, the sensation feels good. Right. Like feeling that momentary satisfaction. Yeah. And it's a yeah. love. Right. It's a form of love. It's an animal kind of love, but it's it's a love. Is there a comment or something? You're looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Um, okay. Let's um, just finish this real quick. This conversation because it's it's important because then it's it's really a twisting of what we are really desiring and what we're yeah. really what's really created for us, right? Yeah. It's it's really a okay, we see these things and these, these things seem good like these other things that God has given us, right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, well, it's good, it's good. Oh, and there's wisdom, you know, wisdom to be gained from this. Yeah. And to her, she is being, you know, tricked or, you know, tempted into disobeying. So this is, a diso this is like disobeying God's word. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else but him who said, you may not eat of this. There's no other, you know, like warning. Yeah. And Adam, who's with her, doesn't stop her. Yeah. He lets her do it and then he does it. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think, I think, you know, the big thing with, um, with that is when you're tempted, how, so a lot of times I think people, they tend to think of um, uh, struggles as negative emotions, but it's positive. It's a positive emotion you're experiencing and you're experiencing. And so the, the big thing is, is you got to educate your love. You got to educate your, your, mm -hmm. your instincts mm -hmm. like um, that, you know, you can't procreate with anybody because you're, you're in a, you're in a relationship or you're waiting a relationship or whatever it might be. But that's the biggest challenge with, um, Young people is their emotions hijack their reason. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and, and sometimes we're not going to understand. Some things might look good and we're told that they're bad yeah. and that we have to believe and trust in God not to do those things yeah. because our understanding isn't perfect. Exactly. And, and sometimes the things that we do, even though we're told that they're bad and we just don't un understand. So we're like, well, I want that and that looks good. So I'm going to take that. Mm-hmm does do us damage and it does do us harm. So I think it's really interesting because I know that's like for my own personal, like teenage years of not understanding, you know, like people say this, but I don't understand. So I didn't follow that, you know, and I fell and I fell away and, you know, prodigal child, you know, mm -hmm. story for myself, myself, but it really does 
it's really the obedience to even if you don't understand mm-hmm. the obedience of God is like way more important than, than we can, un- we can even like wrap our brains around in the most part. Yeah. Well, I think the understanding comes with growth and self mastery, which is when you start to, when you start to move deeper than the emotions, then there has to be some kind of objective criteria. It's like if, if what I feel is not always true and good, what's the deeper criteria? And that's like where you have revelation and stuff like that. You have how, how has God revealed himself? Right. And which, also, and also just as humans, we have to first obey so that then we can learn. Yeah. Even as children, like children first have to obey in the classrooms so that they can un, like be able to focus and learn. If they're not yeah. obeying, they're not going to learn. And it's really almost simplistic in that you know in in explaining it but sometimes that's the way the lord works and we make it difficult (laughs) we make it complicated um and and really we need to obey and you know this will come back up in the gospel the obedience of christ but um we need to obey these certain things you know not yeah go ahead just like not because it, it it doesn't make sense just because maybe we don't have the process to reason it at this moment yeah and that's what I'd say is is uh, adding a, a slight nuance because that word obedience a lot of times people just they, yeah, they, they don't off, like yeah. it yeah it's, <laughs> but I mean it's, it's just like you know the, you know it sounds like a totalitarian government or something uh, there's a there's absolutely obedience it's really trust right so like if you're a basketball like let's say you're in eighth grade and you have a relationship with a coach you know the coach is trying to teach you how to shoot the basketball right. You don't like question everything about the mechanics you trust like you don't. And if, if you're not coachable, obviously that's going to be a huge problem. Not everybody trusts. And that's the big thing is, is that lack of trust. Cause I've, I've dealt with a few, there's a few people I'm working with that they have a profound and radical skepticism. There's this one person I'm working with really nice guy, great guy, but he has a profound skepticism. And I was talking to him about like tradition and I was like, well, you know, and he was like, his um his view is that nothing that nothing can be accepted that that comes from the church because it's just a couple of guys sitting in a room and agreeing on something mm. um like it was, it was an interesting radical doubt but the problem is and this is what kind of got in the conversation if you take that radical doubt this is all just man made um you have to actually apply that to the Bible too. Cause it's kind of like, well, the Bible is the word of God. It's like, yeah, but the Bible wasn't there in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? And then that kind of mm-hmm. like, like, which is, I think sometimes where Protestantism starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if for, you know, for a good, I mean, I told him, I was like, there was debate about the Bible for the first 200, 300 years, yeah. you know? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't def- clearly defined what the Bible would be. And there's clearly, and then he would be like, well, "Well, why aren't the Gnostic texts?" And it's like, "Well, because the church should decide." He's like, "Oh, you mean a group of people gotten together in a room?" And it's like, "Well, I mean, you could take that view, but that's not what we generally believe." But yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting that radical, like, uh, yeah, like, I think it's, but it's trust, but also like using your will to act on that trust. So, yeah. so obedience is not just trusting that God has goodwill for me, but acting upon yeah, that trust um, and how we can trust in God, but also like not act 
necessarily in that way. So it's, it really, I think, combines the trust and knowing that we are loved. Because maybe, maybe it's just he doesn't know that he's loved and, and trust that God works in the way that he does through humanity. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, and I think what you're getting at, I mean, you're saying, making this distinction between trust and obedience. That is, all kinds of people will hold all kinds of ideas to be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's integrated into how they live. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So, like, right. There's all kinds of people who say, I trust God, but on a practical level, right. it's, not, it's not, it doesn't permeate what they do. It's not, I like that word, uh, Dr. Greg Bataro has been using the word a lot and me and him discussed it a bit uh, a while back. Integrated. I really mm-hmm. like that. Like, mm-hmm. cause it makes sense. Like you can study theology, but it's not integrated. You can have, you can know a lot of information or ideas. You could be an expert on discernment of spirits, but be terrible at, like, how is God speaking to me? Right. Um, yeah, and there's a difference between, um, you know, being able to discern God's will and then discernment of spirits. So it's two different things, yeah. you know, and, and and they all work together. But, um, but yeah, so it's kind of two different, two different yeah. areas to talk about. Yeah, um, but I, I think, for me, integration is like sanctification. Like the more integrated we are, the the more we're able to live with Christ in us, you yeah, know, and work through Him, and that's part of our sanctification. Yeah, that kind of that's the word that I would use, like as a synonym, I guess. To yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I mean, that would be. I mean, I think there's a there's a bunch of analogous terms. I think each one of them expresses integrated might be a little bit more from the like a psychological view sanctification more scriptural mm-hmm. deification transformation right divinization but all, but all in the same you know there's a real same change yeah. there's a real change it's not just emotional it's not just intellectual there's an actual change that happens yeah. um so yeah but let's get into some comments yeah we'll shoot yeah ryan fisher says heck adults don't see the consequences of bad decisions a lot of times and he has a wavy hand <laughs> Moji and he says over here <laughs> yeah me too um father vitalis says thanks father ian for that insight on competing with yourself to be a better person spiritually fast thanks, more it helps a lot in self-discipline and spiritual growth absolutely where's he from again he's he's not from america he, right he's he's from nigeria oh cool yeah. you know it's so funny i was talking with our sacristan he's from his his family's filipino he's like yeah he was like, when I came to America from the Philippines, I was like, they don't fast here. He was like, see, in Nigeria, he might be like, you know, he might, he might be like kind of scratching his head. Like, why is he going on about fasting? Because yeah. you may not realize is that in America, we, we've been this whole don't fast from food, fast from being a mean person. Have you heard those homilies? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Like, okay, I didn't trigger you. You triggered yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I agree right now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's it's a problem, and we're working on fixing it. Uh, so. <laughs> and then he says, uh, Father Vitalis says, "Happy birthday, Alana! May God continue to bless you and your family." Thank you. Oh, that's right. We forgot to mention it was your birthday. I, I, yeah. I meant to mention on air. So yeah. everybody, it's it's Alana's birthday. He is uh, now twenty six. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're funny. Um, Ryan Fisher says we we talked about this reading this past weekend at a men's conference I attend attended. 
the man had a, the chance to step up and remind the woman about God's command as they were tempted by the serpent, but just stood there, probably with his arms folded like us men do. And then he had the chance to step up again when she offered him the fruit and he just took it. As men, it is time we step up and be the spiritual leaders we are called to be in our families, parishes, etc. But often we just stand there like Adam and let the ways of the world lead the way. Yeah. Or let the women take over. Come on. That's, that's part of the problem. That's a lot of the homilies last year from a really good priest uh, this summer at summer camp, family camp. Uh, it was a lot about like, okay, sometimes when men don't take over, the women will, you know, fill that void. And, you know, sometimes it just we're led astray because the men are supposed to be the lead. You know, it's supposed to be the head of the family, head of the yeah. spiritually. And yeah, yeah we can... With us women, we'll just do it. In parts of the country. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not so much in San Francisco, but... <laughs> but, but sometimes, you know, that's our temptation as women is to just take over. We're like, well, I think, there's not doing think it right, what, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. So. And what I've generally experienced um, is two extremes that are highly problematic. And this is where people freak out when they hear this is um, abusive men, normally narcissists, narcissist sociopath men will use this whole obedience and I'm over as a, basically an excuse to manipulate women. And of course right. the irony, of course, it's always like immoral too. I mean, it's like, it's like they yeah. picked one part of the Bible and like ignored the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Um, but yeah. And it's, and, yeah. And then of it's, course and it's those abusive. men are not obedient to authority either. I mean, they're, they're really, it's really just an excuse. And our, so I heard one time a conversation where somebody was telling me, they're like, well, they got in a long argument about whether a man is the head of the household and the, somebody else was having this argument with him. I said, he didn't believe man was the head of the household. He just wanted to control and manipulate you. And that was an excuse. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a theological thing. He was just crazy. He was yeah. a narcissist. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. And he didn't, he just, it was just a convenient excuse, but that's one extreme. <laughs> the other extreme, I have had conversations with guys like, Hey guys, uh, you can piss your wife off sometime. Like it's okay. Like stand up to her and say, be like, honey, I don't, I don't care if you're angry. Like I'm going to stand firm on this. And, <laughs> <We're getting angry. laughs> but you know, but there, there are guys I think who are, they're not comfortable with taking off their wife. Yeah. You know? Or just, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to have the intention of t- ticking off your wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, it was like, but making a decision that might not might not be well received. Well, it was it was a situation where um, it was like it was like um, now nah, I don't know if I can get into all the details. Yeah. I think about, it. but right, um, but I don't want to make this about men against. I know sometimes that this reading does, you know, kind of go men against women, but. The, one of the readings that um, I really liked, it, I learned it in my mystagogy class, but it was talking about how this this was the mortal sin, but there were venial sins before this because Adam didn't till and keep. Adam didn't protect the garden from the snake, and yeah. the snake got in. And so, so it's it, there are little things that we don't do that add up to the big things, you know, that that God is calling us to either do or not do that we don't. Yeah. that we don't do so anyways and ryan also says happy birth happy 25th birthday i'm 38 i will own my age I don't 
I'm 38 and happy, and I love my 30s. And people who are afraid of your 30s, um, don't worry well, about it. By the way, it's got to be 40s. <laughs> I know. And you know what? I'm going to rock 40s too, so it's going to be great. I have no stress about age. I feel like that's freedom right there. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I actually, I have no desire to be 18 again. I have no desire oh. to be in 20s again. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm much happier now. Um, so. I'd much rather be chubby in 38 than... <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I can't work on getting in shape, but that's all another issue. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into the next reading. We we are like way behind. Okay. Hold on. I have two more comments. Okay. Oh, Ryan two. says that's the soccer coach Father Ian trusted enough to play the defense for ra- for rather than fo- forward like he wanted to. Father Ian. Oh, I know. Oh, that's a that's a. And was obedient rather than getting what he wanted. Sports the analogy. Is, I wasn't even completely obedient. I would come up a lot and score goals. <laughs> yeah. A work in progress. And the, the coach Cecilia, sat me down for the playoffs. He's like, "Look, you need to just play defense. You can't, you can't play offense." Oh, you're so funny. And yeah. Cecilia says, "Happy birthday, Alana. Thank you, Cecilia." Okay, do you want to go through the second reading, or do you want to skip to the gospel? Let's just skip to the gospel. Okay. Because otherwise, but, we're really not going to. I mean, and we really need to start. Yeah. Doing the gospels more. <laughs> okay, so the gospel of Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and with their hands, they will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him again. It is written. You shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. Then the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to them, all these I shall give to you if you prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, get away, Satan. It is written, the Lord your God shall shall you worship and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Cool. Okay. So there's three different temptations here. Mm -hmm. Temptation to his lower need of um of eating you know the the passions right being able to to feed yourself the temptation uh vanity and the the temptation of pride Mm -hmm. like getting the all of the uh kingdoms without having to go through the suffering that was i like how you lined up with the first ring remind me again what was the first and the first ring is the three part threefold it was it was um, um good good to eat and then what was the second good to look at good to look at and yeah. then and then, then good for good, wisdom good for wisdom mm-hmm. good to look at you know like so so vanity yeah <clears throat> so um, and we don't have to look at this another way to interpret this um probably a more popular way is also the 40 days in, in the desert for Jesus is re, a recapitulation, a bringing together and, and um, 
a healing of the 40 days of Israel and how they sinned. He, yeah. their temptations were, re, were um, <clears throat> healed and redone by the, yeah. and it's the, the 40 obedience years. of Christ. Yeah, 40 years. Right, 40 days for Jesus, 40 years for yeah, absolutely. For Israel. So there's so there's different ways to look to look at, at this reading. Um I just I just like being able to look at it from from the different perspectives and and because if you look at it from like the base passions and vanity and pride, we can apply them to ourselves a little bit easier i think the the transition is a little bit easier to apply like what do i get tempted to when it comes to my like my passion like the base passions what do i get tempted to when it comes to my vanity what do i get tempted to when it comes to like intellectual pride and not wanting to suffer in order to get the things that i want or the things that are for me you know so that makes sense yeah one idea i had when you're kind of talking you're talking about the recapitulation idea do we believe that our fasting and prayer can transform our families and our organizations primarily? And I've realized this as a priest. Uh, so I don't talk a lot about liturgical reform and um, for various reasons, but I have started to disagree with a lot of traditional leaning folks. I see that what I've seen, what I've experienced in the parish, the fundamental way that I've reformed liturgy and everywhere I've gone is through how I've celebrated it. Just, it's just, there's something about it. Just the way the leader, the way the leader comports himself, it filters down. You know, I never say anything, but next thing I know, half the people are receiving on the tongue, a bunch of kneeling, a bunch of mantillas pop out of nowhere. Didn't say a dang thing about any of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And those are kind of some superficial characteristics, but there's other principles that get involved with that. The music calms down. I, I found that almost universally. Wherever I go, the music calms down. Um, hmm. less jittery, you know. Um, do you do you think that's part of because of your fasting and your prayer? Yeah, of course. I think it's all tied, and 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 just how you celebrate the mass, mm-hmm. just how how I pray the mass. Oh mm-hmm. no, absolutely. And Which reverence. is why I've come to I've come to believe like if like because there's a possibility I might get moved this year, um, and um, and if I got moved, I would start like I would start to reform the organization by simply being myself and just being consistent in who I am first uh, and mm-hmm. that reform of self. And I mean, I had to say it, but the same thing for parents, your, your kids are like little mirrors of your problems, you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. So yeah, it's, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that goes for, the lady too, that once yeah. we act well in, in, in terms of liturgy, in terms of our life, in terms of our work and how, mm-hmm. if we do bring prayer and fasting into our own lives, like just even just try it, just try it to see what, what fruits will come from a period of fasting, especially for Lent. Like what, if you do this with intention of just being able to be a better, you know, more integrated Catholic um, and then see how that affects other people. Cause it is a a ripple effect. You know, like your, your kids will notice something different. Your, you know, your husband or wife will notice something different. And then the people you work with outside of your family will notice something different, you know, and pay attention to the fruit because Mm -hmm. 
on the surface, you may think that you're doing what we're describing, but then there's bitterness, there's ugliness, there's criticalness. Like you got to pay attention to that fruit. Right. Where, you know, like, like, let's like say something that's really popular with young women to wear a mantilla. Okay. If you wear it and you do so in a way that other women feel inspired and you just find that you're being more prayerful and that there's a joy and there's the fruits of the Holy spirit by all means. But if it's getting weird and rigid, I'm not saying the mentel is bad or good one way or the other, but like you got to check yourself a little bit. Right. Um, it's Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you try, if you want to try it, and I think that's, that's great. Um, just to, just to also like internally, like, is this something that's helping you pray or are you worried about it? You know what I mean? Like, are you like last week you were talking about, like, are you, joining in contemplation in the mass. You know what I mean? Like that's really, I really liked that point, you know, that, that we need to really work on like being connected to God, like that, the will to unity in, in the mass, in the, um, in the liturgy. And it's not always about this. I mean, this can help, you know, it's, it's not the end, you know, the end is union with Christ. The end is communion with the Lord. And, Mm. And that's just a means possibly. So, which is uh, something I, cause I've seen, I've seen liberal parishes that are, are doing terrible where a liberal priest sinks a liberal parish or a liberal priest sinks a, a, a moderate parish or just like a middle pair, middle of the road parish. I've seen um, a liberal priest who's led to the flourishing of a parish so where it's things are going really well. Now, granted, they may not accept the fullness of the faith. We'll set that aside for right now, present conversation. I've seen a traditional priest sink a parish. I've seen a traditional priest lead to a revival of a parish. And a lot of it, I would say, is more is the interior quality of listening to the voice of the shepherd. Um, even some of those liberal priests who led to the flourishing, I think they were misguided, profoundly misguided, but I would not doubt their intentions as much. I think they were genuinely trying to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe they just had some bad formation, um, but they were generally like genuinely, like I would say that there's the possibility of an invincibly erroneous conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, or, 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 and I think that's important to also be able to see the, the distinctions and, and not just label people and write them off. Yeah. Um, you know, just, interact with, with them like humans and say like, okay, well maybe your ideas are not exactly what I would fall behind, but like we can, we can talk and we can, you know, yeah. I don't know. Be human. Be human. Like, I really think that's something that we need to work on. <laughs> being be human. <laughs> and, and like, never forget <laughs> if the devil can quote scripture, he can quote good ideas. He can quote piety. He can quote traditionalism. He can quote liberalism. Mm-hmm. He can quote a saint. If he can quote scripture, he can quote anything else. And that's the, the quality also with a lot of times with discernment is, um, is recognizing that. Um, right. That's where, where people, because I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen also, I've, I've seen traditional folks who are being led into contemplation. I've experienced traditional folks who are being led astray by the devil. I've, experience liberal folks who are being led into contemplation and liberal folks 
we're being led astray by the devil. Uh, and and I, mean, I think now I will qualify. If somebody's being led positively by the Holy Spirit and they're in somewhat of an error, like if, let's say they're a little left of center um, or a little liberal and they're, they're, they're in a little bit of error, there is that question of an inv- invincibly erroneous conscience, which we always have to hold. We have to always be careful because you, you really can't assume that everybody's been exposed to all the same ideas that you have or the same experiences. Mm-hmm. Because of my left-wing activism days, I tend to smell a, a left-wing idea and I, and I kind of know where it came from and mm-hmm. what's the consequences of it. But like if you're raised in an environment where you're not really taught the roots of things, um, I experienced this a lot. There's a group I'm involved with called Catholic Creatives and a lot of the young Catholics, and even some of the speakers, are really picking up on like uh, LGBTQ type issues and um, race issues. And, and they're kind of adopting a lot of left-wing ideas, but they're not like, they're not reading the primary sources. It's kind of like they've more absorbed it from the culture, mm. if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, I, I just, I found that to be the case. So they'll say things and they'll, and you're kind of like, uh, that doesn't really jive with uh, standard Western yeah. thought. Yeah. Mm. Or like if you realize, like, like a classic one, when people say people of color, like that whole concept, people of color was a concept created within left-wing activist circles to say all of us are going to gang up on white people. We're going to overthrow the white male patriarchy. And yes, that meant the church as well, the Catholic church mm-hmm. um, by name. And some of those, you know, that's, they, they link, they link them together, the government and the, the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, but people will throw around that now, people of color, you know, all like, I mean, really when you think about it, I mean, not to get too political, is there really that much commonality between African-American and Asian-Americans? I mean, just as much as there is between Caucasian Americans and African Americans or Caucasian American, mm-hmm. Asian Americans, there's really, it's not like there's some magical thing where Asian Americans and African Americans are more simpatico than everybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's the people of color thing was we're all in this together against the white man kind of yeah. thing. That's too bad. I just would like to be humans. Can we just be yeah. humans? <laughs> I like that point. like i just want to be humans all right i have a a comment from father vitalis he says i always reflect on why the temperature will start with if you are the son of god this is a way of really testing the identity of christ the tempter or the devil is smart by starting with if you are this continues to happen in our days as our identity as christians is being tempted and tried every day christ will help us overcome Thank you, Father. That Father Vitalis. Amen. That's a good one. It's like it's like mm-hmm. the the classic. On the, if you're really tough, a bark, 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 chicken. <laughs> yeah. If you're really yeah. such a tough guy, you're gonna you're gonna make that bread. Yep. You're gonna jump off that building, huh? How do you like them apples, tough guy? <laughs> yeah. So so it's interesting. Also the the way that the devil leads, like the the way he leads the three temptations, because the first one, you know when we, we see stones in the desert, we don't necessarily think bread when it comes to salvation history. When we see a stone in the de- desert, we think the stone which Moses struck 
for the for the water, right? For, oh, that's the, a good for point. the water of the spirit. That's a good so, one. So it's interesting that he he brings that to bread, but it's still like a base need. Yeah. A base need, and it says, but it really brings out to the scriptural that Christ. So Christ, he doesn't say anything scriptural first. The devil, and then Christ replies to scripture, and then the devil yeah. starts with scripture. And then a twisted scripture, you know, like is yeah. frames it as, you know, oh, you should do this because this is what scripture says, right? Mm -hmm. And then the um, and then Christ responds with scripture, mm -hmm. and then um, and then he attacks his mission to rule, you know, the all of the the king, you know, to be the king. He's Christ the King, um, so he really attacks the mission, the the final mission, and and he will give you know, he you will have the final mission if you will just do this simple you know simple thing for me, um, which is to worship him, and that's why he's like get away Satan. Yeah. So I think that's an, also an interesting way because sometimes we can be tempted in a different levels. You know what I mean? Like oh well this. Is, especially in Lent, you're hungry. Oh, no, not going to be, you know, like, I'm good. I'm okay. Good mood. You know, not going to be tempted, but then we can be tempted maybe by a misreading of scripture. Right. Absolutely. And we need to pay attention to these things. And then we can be tempted by, oh, you can get to your goal, whatever your goal or your mission is for that day or for your life or whatever, by this simple five-step plan, whatever, you know? Yeah. you know what I mean? Like just to be tempted to not, do the work that's that's laid out for you and to just take the shortcut that the devil is offering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did we talk about last week how basically the last two weeks, all your major heresies are based on those readings from Matthew? We didn't, we didn't talk about that, no. Oh, well, let me bring it up because I think it ties in what you're talking about. We are talking about with um, God, like misunderstanding scripture. So if you really look at all of your heresies, your major heresies, ones that really did the most damage, and it gets at how do we understand the Sermon on the Mount, last week's reading and the reading before. Because like, and the classic one for guys is if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So the question is, when does it become lust and when does it become a mortal sin, right? Um, that's a classic one. There's a lot there. It's not uncommon. Um, you get folks, um, particularly within traditionalism, sometimes they tend to be a little bit what they call Jansenist, mm -hmm. which is if you feel any attraction towards a woman, you've committed lust and you've committed a mortal sin. You have to go to confession before receiving communion. That, that idea, I, I haven't heard it put quite exactly that way, but that idea is out there. And you look at it, the other things, the anger, the, the other ones. Yeah. Um, and, um, and see, that's, that's where the devil really gets you in a bind, right? Because what's, what's going to happen if you really fast hardcore, you're going to, you're going to experience a lot of negative emotions. You're going to experience a lot of, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also good to, you know, have a good translation and a good, maybe a study Bible or something so that, so that when you are, you know, in the word of God, that you don't read something and completely take it the wrong way, yeah. you know, to really just to look at the typology, to look at like, what are these words mean? What is, what is a context? You know, well, it you needs to, to be you to, read you to, in to context in your life. I mean, actually I would say, I mean, interpretations, those are good, but really it's the voice of the shepherd. 
it's the voice of a saintly or holy person. Um, that's yeah, and the lived experience. The Carthusians get at that a lot, right? That the most important part of the rule of the Carthusians is the lived experience that's mm-hmm. passed down generation to generation. Um, which is why it can be so crippling for people if their parents were not good parents or if their parents, because that's the voice that's in your head. And that's the voice that has to be reformed. Right. Um, is that the voices in your head, man? Exactly. There's voices <laughs> in my head and they won't, you know, is that, that's, a, that's a song that voice, uh, it's just like a pop song. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember how it goes though. But that's, I mean, we all talk to ourselves. We all have that interior dialogue. Right. A lot of times the people, the negative scripts that they have is because of their parents, right? Right. And they need to be healed and they need to be, you need to re-script and you need to recognize when those, those negative things come up and you realize that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. And, and if you recognize the certain temptations that you have, like I've said this before, um, a lot of one, of, one of my temptations is to think you're not, I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough things. You know, like, so the, the word enough, whenever the word enough comes, <coughs> like, whoa, slow down. Is this a lie? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm not doing enough. Am I really not doing enough? Because that's not true. I'm yeah. doing plenty. And sometimes I'm even, not even able to finish the things that I've said exactly. I, that I would do. So that's a temptation to spin me off the rails and get me in, you know, like try to focus me on something that I'm not supposed to be focused on. Yeah. So, so it's really. Well, I just revolve around how I'm not fucking my friends. Kind of joking. Kind yeah. of. <laughs> we'll make it. We'll make it. So much more views than I do. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but it's you know it's it's good for your it's good for your vanity. <laughs> the best I have to be confronted all that all the time. They'll be like, it was just the other day, Bishop was like, yeah, and I was telling them like, you got to go to YouTube. There's lots of great Catholic content on there. Like Father Mike Schmidt. So I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I get like, that's funny. I know. And, it was, and they're talking about, I'm like, I talk about prayer on YouTube. Uh, that's uh, all right. I just like email him. Just get him What's on up? the email list. I said, you need to just get him on the email list. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. We have a comment. Ryan says, can you pray for my friend Gary, who is battling memory issues? My Absolutely. mentor, Tom. Okay, do you want to write it down? Yeah, I'm going to write it down. Okay. <clears throat> Gary. Gary. Tom. Tom, who is dealing with sleeping and anxiety issues, and Father Hollowell. He's the priest that was just diagnosed with brain tumor. Oh, yeah. Thanks for mentioning him. Yeah. Yep. And he will be undergoing a procedure at the Mayo Clinic in the coming weeks. Yeah. He's, he's um, offering up his suffering for the victims of the sexual abuse. So I think I, yeah, I, thought I that was really, really like beautiful him. the way he posted that. I was, mm-hmm. you know, that could have gone either way, but and the way he did it, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's really. Yeah. I think I think that's a great way of um, showing how we can affect change in the church, just by showing like, okay, I'm suffering, and this is what I'm going to be doing with this suffering, you know, and and how how we're going to, you know, like live through this and and work through this problem, right? Yeah. Is, is by offering up our sufferings, especially you know, brain cancers. Rough. Yeah, and it was really humbling. He he talked about how he. <clears throat> He, you know, he prayed that he could share in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of, it's like, that's, that's really good. It was really, it was like really humbling. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And my competitiveness was like, dang, why didn't I think of that? 
<laughs> well, well, your sufferings, find a group of people um, I know, I to offer up your sufferings for Lent. Mine, um, my sufferings will That's be offered I tell you, the why I'm generally more, like better at not being envious is because I laugh about the fact that I'm competitive and I'm comparing myself to other people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, ah, ha, ha. Like, I'm, I'm talking about with my sister, talking about, and my sister even makes fun of me about, like, I'll be like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So for Lent, for me, I'm going to be offering up my sufferings for the lay leaders. Because awesome. I really feel like that's a good idea. A lot, thought- a lot of people don't pray for them. Like, you know, we always are like, with good reason, pray for priests, pray for the priests, pray for vocations. Of course, don't stop that. But, you know, my heart has really gone out to lay leaders in the last few months. And like, I really feel like part of my mission is to be to support them. And that's a way I can do so without mm-hmm. doing anything, you know, without really doing much else, you know, something I'm already doing, but just intentionally for, for their need. So cool. Yep. It's awesome. All right, let's pray. Yeah. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we lift up in prayer, Gary and Tom. We pray in a special way that Tom may come to that rested Sabbath rest that you desire for him. We pray for Father Holloway that his suffering may bear fruit for the healing of the church and he may be healed if it's accordance with your will. We pray for Father Saxon, the Diocese of Raleigh, for his recovery, for Father Ty, um, for healing for, with his cancer. I pray for the repose of the soul of Chelsea's dad, whose funeral I'll be doing tomorrow, and for the family as they mourn. We pray for lay leaders, that they may be renewed in the spirit and that they may strive to enter that narrow gate, which is pleasing in your sight. I pray especially for our focused missionaries, for our vagabond missionaries here in Greenville and for throughout the United States. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this. Also, we pray for our other listeners, Jennifer, and and all who will listen or watch this. We ask you to bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. You too. So take me to the fountain that I seek. It's welling up, it's Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by A few minutes each day can change your life during Lent. Ave Maria Press offers booklets for daily devotion, reflection, and more from such best-selling authors as Gary Zemak, Greg Kandra, Father Michael White, and Tom Corcoran, and so many more. Looking for Stations of the Cross booklets or books that are perfect for small groups? We have those too. Head over to AveMariaPress.com and use code LENT20 to get 20% off your order today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees 
Available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before.